Well, good morning. As David said, I'm Pastor Doug also, uh, and uh, I have the privilege of sharing with you guys this morning uh, the second message uh, out of the minor prophet Haggai, and um, the title for this morning's message is Persevering Through Discouragement. Matt kicked this off last week uh, with, with a great message on, on uh, doing the hard right thing, of, of making the right decisions, doing the hard right thing. So this is the second of this series. Now, um, whenever we look um, at a Old Testament writing, I mean, this, this book was written some 2,500 years ago. Um, I think some would ask the question, why are we, why are we bothering to look at something that's written 2,500 years ago, what kind of relevance, relevance could it have today? And uh, it answers that in, in uh, 1 Corinthians where it says, these things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. God's word is very applicable to our life, whether it's from Genesis or through Revelation. There's a lot of, a lot of truth that we can glean looking at God's word, so uh, it's helpful to consider the whole counsel of God. So that's what we're doing. So I want to begin this morning by asking a question, a couple questions actually, and you can, you can raise your hands. You can actually respond to this, okay? But listen carefully to the question. Here's the first question. Is there anyone here who has never faced discouragement? And this is the second question. Is there anyone here who hasn't started something in your life only to become discouraged and to give up on it. Okay, now listen to the question. You've started something in your life, okay, and you've given up on it. So if you've never done that, if you've never started something and given up on it or lost interest in it, you can raise your hand, okay? And if anybody raises your hand, then you can come up here and do the sermon because, that, <laughs> because those certainly don't apply to me. I can, I can definitely relate to... Uh, the issue of discouragement. And I think we'll see in this story today that, that there's some good answers and some solutions for discouragement. Here's another tool. Here's another tool for you to evaluate yourself. So listen carefully to this. If you can sit quietly in the face of turmoil, if you're calm while experiencing financial woes while others around you are prospering, if you see your neighbors taking exotic vacations without a twinge of jealousy, if you can happily eat whatever is put on your plate without worry of weight gain, if you can always find contentment wherever you are, and if you've never experienced discouragement, then you're probably a dog. Because <laughs> I think we can all relate to those things, okay? Um, again, let me do a little recap on this book of, of Haggai the prophet. And... Um, what was taking place here, it had taken place, is, is God's people, the nation of Israel, had been in exile. And they were in exile because of their covenant rebellion. They had rebelled against God because God had clearly laid out to them the path of blessing. He says, here's what you do to be blessed. Here's what you do to be cursed. Here's what you do if you want to stay right with me. Here's what you do if you aren't interested in staying right with me. And they picked the wrong path. They decided to rebel against God, to go their own way, to reject God's plan for them, and they were suffering the consequences of their decisions. That's a little bit of a secondary issue, but I also think that that's something that pretty much all of mankind can relate to, suffering the consequences of a decision that might not necessarily be a good 
decision. So this story picks up in Haggai um, as a remnant of the Jewish people were allowed to return after the captivity. They were allowed, being allowed to return to Jerusalem to rebuild and reestablish themselves as God's people. And so shortly after they returned, very shortly after they returned, they laid the foundation for the temple. Okay? And the temple, uh, the temple was the the place, the temple represented from the, the early time that the nation of Israel came into being. Uh, the, the first was called the tabernacle. It was a, a tent where God's presence dwelt. That's where, at that time, the, the, the high priest would go in once a year and, and, and make offerings. And, and so, but the, the temple was key. And so they had laid the foundation, okay, shortly after they turned. But now, because of misplaced priorities, those that we talked about last week, that they were not interested in doing what God wanted them to do with the temple and reestablishing themselves, but they were building their own houses. They were kind of doing their own thing. So, um, uh, so it had stalled, and, and years had passed. The temple was still not complete. The city walls were torn down. The gates were broken, and, and uh, it was just a mess. The city was in ruin, and, and the people, again, were only interested in, in doing their own thing. They, they were not at all considering what God's plan was. They were not at all considering God's presence in his temple. So Haggai's call would be to remind this remnant, to remind these people of the fact that they were God's people and that he had called them to a task. He'd called them to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the city walls and to reestablish themselves so that they could re-engage in their, in their worship practices and re-engage in their connection to God. And so because of this process that had taken place, the people were discouraged and they were disheartened. Nothing was happening. Things were in ruin. They were discouraged and disheartened. So that's kind of where the story picks up. So I want to look a little bit of the text and really talk about a couple of the causes that we can see in this story that lead to discouragement. So a couple of causes that would lead to discouragement. Let's look at Haggai uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Then on October 17th of the same year, the Lord sent another message through the prophet Haggai. Say this to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheotil, governor of Judah, and to Yeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest and to the remnant of God's people there in the land. Does anyone remember this house, this temple, in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. Now, just to set the stage a little bit further, Haggai was not a soft-spoken type prophet. He was very straightforward, very hard-punching in the things that he was saying. So this doesn't sound very encouraging to them. You know, he's basically saying, look at the, look at this temple that you're building. It's going to be nothing like what was there before. It's going to be nothing like Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple uh, that was destroyed before they went into captivity was glorious. It was, it was, it was just amazing uh, in its design and in, in the, the, the silver and gold and the jewels and all that was involved in that. So, so he says, this, this Look at this. It doesn't look very good. And so, uh, so let's look at a couple things that would have brought that discouragement to the people. The first thing and the first uh, note that you could make if you're keeping notes, if fill in the blank, is the lack, of the lack of progress. I mean, it had been 16 years since the foundation was laid, and yet nothing was happening yet. They weren't able to really establish their, their, their method of worship because the temple was not there. The temple that represents God's present. Again, they'd started with great excitement, great fanfare they started, and it had stalled. 16 years later, 
here they are, and nothing was happening at all. And again, why wasn't anything happening? It wasn't happening as, as a result of a consequence of their decision not to do what God had called them to do, to not pursue his plan. And they had misplaced priorities. They were thinking wrongly, and they were suffering uh, discouragement because of that. And so, um, again, the plan wasn't going how they thought, and uh, it just wasn't progressing. And, and I don't know if you can relate to that in, in your life uh, at all. And, and, you know, let's think through things like maybe you've, maybe you've started something new in your life, and it feels like every two steps you take forward, you go backwards three steps. It's not going like you thought it would go. You're not making any progress. Perhaps you're, you're discouraged in your relationship with Christ. Maybe it's not progressing how you thought it would. Maybe you're still struggling with, with jealousy or a critical spirit, or maybe there's a sin in your life that you just can't seem to overcome. It's just not going how you thought it would go. Maybe it's something as simple or not so simple as a diet. Maybe you've been eating kale salad and not dessert for a month and you've gained five pounds. Now that's discouraging, and kale salad is gross, but, but there's discouragement. You can see how discouragement would, would, would come from that. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you're discouraged in your marriage because of the lack of progress of yourself or your spouse in being able to love unselfishly. You know, There's many things that can bring discouragement into our life from lack of progress. We look and we're not moving ahead like we think we should. And so discouragement can come. What we do, I think, is many times we compare our start where we're at with someone else's finish. We look around and we're not where we think we should be because we're measuring against someone else. Or perhaps we're just not where we should be. But there's a lot of reasons that can bring that. And so the second cause of discouragement that we see well laid out here is comparisons comparisons. Haggai again asked the question, he says, does anyone remember this house, this temple, and its former splendor? Speaking of Solomon's temple. How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. Now, there wouldn't have been a lot of people in this remnant that would have actually seen Solomon's temple because it was seven, destroyed 70 years or so before, but there were a few, and no doubt th that people group, they relayed their history to one another. So no doubt the, the splendor of Solomon's temple had been talked about, the magnificence of that, that had been talked about a lot. And, and so uh, there had to be disappointment. There had to be shattered expectations as they looked at not only the lack of progress, but what this temple would be. I mean, it was much smaller. They didn't have the riches that they had when they built Solomon's temple. And so again, if we try to, if we try to apply that to our own lives, um, I think we would all have to admit that, that, that we do comparisons, that, that we many times compare ourselves to others. And when we do that, when we do that, I can almost guarantee you that there'll always be somebody more successful and there'll always be somebody uh, with a nicer house and there'll always be uh, that guy with a killer truck that really you want bad, you know. Uh, there's somebody with those kids that are just so perfect and yours are like wild monkeys. I mean, <laughs> comparisons are, 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 are so, uh, can be so dangerous when we do that. You know, somebody, you look at somebody who gets to travel the world and the furthest you've ever been is Cornville. 
I mean, it, it, it's easy to compare ourselves. You know, somebody's life who turned out so much better than your life. And actually, it's to the point today, which there's a lot of things today that have become absurd, but psychology has developed a theory, and it's called social comparison theory. Social comparison theory. And this is what it says. Individuals determine their own social and personal worth based on how they stack up against others they perceive as somehow faring better or worse. Social comparison theory from looking at others and and judging who we are based on where they are in life. And that reality, I think that one of the reasons that social comparison theory has come to light even more today is with social media. Uh, people on social media presenting only the highlights of their life. You know, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever it might be, you know, you look at that and you don't see very many people, you know, showing pictures of their, of their, their roles because they're overweight or, or, or you don't see the negative stuff. You don't see the difficulties. All you see is the highlights of their life and, and you don't see their struggles. And then we have a tendency sometimes to compare our life our day-to-day, sometimes mundane life, sometimes with struggles, to someone else's highlight reel. And I don't care who you are, that can bring discouragement. That can bring discouragement into our lives. And, and, and I'll be completely transparent with you in, in this story. Um, I went through, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if you would call it a midlife crisis, and it was a lot of years ago because if now was midlife, I'd live to be 130. So it, it, it was quite a few years ago. But I came, I came through a struggle where, and this, was, this, was, this might sound silly, but it was profound, that I came to the realization one day that I'm just average. There's nothing about me that's special. There's nothing in my life. I'm just average. And it was just like, God, do I, you know, do I want to be average? Don't I want to be, don't, can I have something in my life that's special? And so one of the things that I decided to do, I thought, you know what, I'm going to learn to play the guitar. I'm going to learn to play the guitar. So I bought me a little cheap guitar, and I started playing the guitar. And then very early, since I knew I was going to be an exceptional guitar player, <laughs> even though I don't have any musical skill and I can't sing, but I still thought I was going to be an excellent guitar player, so I bought a really nice guitar. Okay. Well, very quickly I realized that I was never going to be even an average guitar player. And the only good thing that came out of that was the really nice guitar I bought made the big time. I mean, David was playing it this morning. So, so it made, but once again, it just, I'm just not even average in the guitar player. And then the second thing that I, the second thing that I looked at when I was honest, I also decided, you know what? Maybe if I become a pilot, I can be above average. Not everybody gets to be a pilot, not, you know. And so I started taking flying lessons. And I took flying lessons. I even went to a special flight school where I learned how to fly in the back country to do short field landings and takeoffs. And, and I bought an airplane and I put big tires on it so I could go into the mountains and land on these little strips, you know. And I love, and I still love flying, but you know what I found out? That I'm just an average pilot. I'm not exceptional. I'm just an average. Now, you might never fly with me because I say I'm just an average pilot, but, but I, I am. You know, there's always, guy, well, look, there's always guys better. There's always guys doing neater stuff than that, that have a neater airplane and a neater, shorter landing strips that I can do. So, so it was one of those things that I was, I was comparing myself to others and thinking that that's where that would somehow 
help me out. And we're going to see later in the story that that's really not what life is all about, doing that. And so, but just to be honest and, and let you know that, that, you know, everybody, I think, deals with, with those kind of things, especially when we start comparing ourselves and where we're at in life and our progress with others. So, so let's look at some cures for this discouragement that Haggai talks about. Uh, in Haggai uh, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, he says this, can you jump that up there, Enlil? Haggai 2, 4, and 5. And, but now the Lord says, Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Yeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people still left in the land. And now get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid. If you're filling out your outline, you can, you can go ahead and fill in the next two points uh, under be cure, uh, the cure for discouragement, which is be strong and do the work. And so God says in that verse, he says, I am with you. This is, a, this is meant to be an encouragement to the people. He says, I'm with you. He said, my spirit is among you. He says, you have my promises that you can count on. When you feel discouraged, when you feel like giving up, don't. Stay strong and keep working. If you're not seeing the results that you thought you would see, be strong and do the work. Don't compare yourself to others. Don't compare your progress to others, but be strong and do the work. The lack of progress will cease as soon as you lay down the next stone. As soon as these people began rebuilding the temple, guess what? That stopped because they were taking action. They were being strong and they were doing the work. Haggai reminds them that you're in covenant relationship with your heavenly father and he desires to bless you and prosper you when you remain in that covenant relationship. So he says, be strong and do the work and I will be faithful to keep my promises. You do the work, you be strong and I will keep the promises that I've given to you. Last week we heard Matt use the example of a parent talking to their kids and, 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 and Haggai saying, go up to the hills, bring down the timber and rebuild my house. Be strong, do the work. That's what I've called you to. Walk in obedience to the things that I've asked of you and I will prove myself strong on your behalf. There's a quote that I found that says this, spiritually successful people do consistently what normal people do occasionally. I can tell you with 100% certainty, every man in my life that I look to as a mentor is consistent in what they do. They're consistent in their spiritual disciplines. They're consistent in pursuing the Lord. They're consistent. And Scripture talks time and time again about what we're asked to do is to be diligent and to be consistent in the things that God calls us to do. Yes, we're going to fall. Yes, we're going to struggle. Yes, sin will at times enter into our life. But to be consistent in our pursuit of God and doing the things that God has asked us to do. So again, um, consistently doing the hard right thing over the wrong easy thing. Consistently doing the hard right thing. And it's is hard at times. It's not always easy. It is a struggle to consistently do the hard right thing. It tells us in uh, Psalm 25:10, 10, 
The Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness to all who keep his covenant and obey his demands. The Lord will lead us. His love is unfailing, and he is faithful to those who are faithful to keep his covenant. And then in 2 Chronicles, I love this one. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That also translates whose hearts are faithful towards his ways. God is looking for people who are faithful. He's looking to people that will be consistent and diligent in pursuing him and his ways. One of the songs we sang this morning talked about that very same thing, about God's faithfulness. And he pursues us in relationship. A New Testament, um, a New Testament encouragement in Galatians 6, 9 says this. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Evidently, Paul writes this, uh, evidently what this tells me, if you kind of read between the lines, is we get tired of doing good. It's hard to stay consistent. It's a struggle sometimes to do the hard, right thing. But he says, let's not get tired of doing good. Let's be faithful because if we are at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up, if we stay strong, and if we do the work. We should see that as an encouragement as we look at that today. And then the final point on your outline says blank, I am with you. Okay? Don't write blank in there, but it's, there's a blank that says I am with you. And, and um, th- this is, that in and of itself is a glorious promise that God says I am with you. And that twice in the book of Haggai, he tells us that. He encourages the people. He says, I am with you. And so if you sit here this morning and you've accepted God's plan for your redemption through Christ and Him crucified, you write your name in that blank. Doug, I am with you. You don't write Doug. You write your name in there, okay? <laughs> I wrote Doug, I am with you. Because this morning as God's child, that's a promise that I can take to the bank, that He is with me. Now, if you've never made that decision uh, for Christ, if you've never stepped into a relationship with him, then, then know that he's inviting you to that today, that that is his desire for you, to, to bring you back into right relationship with him, to restore you to your created purpose of intimacy, of relationship with him. But you can put your name in that blank. And, and again, this is the second time that, that Haggai issues this promise. And, and really what he's doing there is he's reminding the people of their identity in God. He's reminding them of who they are. They are God's people. And God promises to never leave or forsake his people. So they're his people. They're in covenant relationship with him. And because of his faithfulness and because of his promises, they could be successful in completing the work that he's called them to do. And they can have victory and strength to prevail over any discouragement that would come their way. So those are promises, not just to these people back then, but these are promises to us today, to all who call upon uh, Christ as Lord and Savior. We have those same exact promises. God will be with us. He'll strengthen us and encourage us in all the things that he's called us to do. I'm going to conclude with Haggai 2. Nine. And this is kind of the punchline. This is kind of the answer to all of it. This is a, a, a really a glorious, a glorious promise 
when we think of the, the prophetic implication of this, of this uh, scripture. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. The glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament sacrificial system, the time that Haggai's writing, the people went to the, to the temple. They went to where God was to make a sacrifice. They, they, in order to be right with God, they would have to go and make a sacrifice at the temple. So an animal would have to be killed. Blood would have to be shed to, pray, to pay the price for sin. That's the old covenant system, the Old Testament way of, of worship and, and, and drawing near to God. In the new covenant, however, where we sit today, God comes to us. And God made a sacrifice so that we can be right with him. John 3.16 says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So Jesus went to the cross. His body was given for us. His blood was shed, paying the price for our sin. Now, by his sacrifice, we are the temple. We are where God resides. God is in us. He dwells in us. He has placed his glory in us by his Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the greater glory that Haggai speaks of. Okay? Our Redeemer, that's who Haggai's speaking of as the greater glory. And by that and by that alone, we can have the peace that comes because we are no longer at enmity with God. We're no longer separated by sin. But because of the blood of Christ, we've been reconciled and set back to our created purpose, back to an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. And in that, and only in that, is peace. That enmity is gone. We are no longer separated. And so I have, again, I have no doubt that, that, that all of us face some discouragement and, and at time, time uh, we can be disheartened over things and especially when we look at our lives and, and we don't see the progress we think we should be making or, or in our pursuits or, or spiritually and when we compare ourselves to others. And, and a, 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 one thing I've definitely found in life, I'm always going to find somebody that's better off than me. And I'm always going to find somebody that's better at everything that I do than I am. And so that's pretty much a guarantee. So, so, I, so we're going to suffer that. But I believe, I believe the root problem is this, is when we choose to live a life apart from God's plan, forgetting who he is and his covenant promises to us, what we're doing there is we're suffering identity amnesia. We're not only forgetting who God is, but we're forgetting who we are. The price that he has paid for us, forgetting that we're his children. We were purchased by the blood of Christ. And when we do that, we set ourselves up for discouragement and defeat. So here's the encouragement that this little two-chapter book of Haggai brings to us. He says, I am with you. I love you. My spirit indwells you. You are mine Okay? He says that to us individually. He was speaking here to uh, the nation, but he's speaking that to us today. You are mine. Walk in my ways, and I will strengthen you. I will encourage you, and I will give you victory over discouragement. Be strong and do the work. We have Christ in us, the hope of glory. We've been ending for weeks with a, with a prayer. I'm doing a little bit different this week. I'm going to bring up a, uh, this is a personal note that I made to myself 
about six months ago that I've had on my desk uh, for the past six months or so when I was struggling with some discouragement. And, and what I want you to do is I want you just to take some time now and just read through that and see if there's anything in that that you can relate to in your life or anything that you can use uh, as your own prayer to help you through times of, of, of discouragement. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful as we consider how much you love us, as we consider your glorious promises to us as your children. Father, help us to live each day in the reality of who you are and help us to never forget uh, who we are in you. Beloved, your children, blessed uh, with unimaginable blessings in the heavenlies. Father, we pray that you would help each one here today uh, that might be experiencing uh, discouragement or disappointment. We, I pray, Father, that you would minister to their hearts how much you love them and what wonderful plans you have for them, that they would be looking to you for strength, for encouragement. And Father, that today we would be able to be strong and do the work that you've called us to, that we may bring you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.